welcome to this episode of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. Today we're coming to you live on the Zen Madman's Twitch.tv channel as we're discussing an episode suggested by one of his followers, his 50th follower in fact, in which we're going to be discussing what happens after Ever After. How do we feel about movies and TV shows that take some of our favorite genre, some of our favorite stories, and tell more stories to kind of fill in the narrative gaps? Can that be good? Can that be bad? We'll be discussing all that and more with myself and Paul Hoppy right after this commercial break. We have no control over. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. A couple of quick technical things I want to get out of the way before we jump into a conversation. First of all, you might be noticing that my audio is not quite up to the normal standards. Um... About 15 minutes before Paul and I were about to begin recording this episode tonight, my computer completely crashed, and then entered into a cycle where it would load up, crash, load up, crash, load up, crash, etc. Um, so that was fun. So tonight I am coming to you from my old laptop computer and my old headset mic. Not the best, but hopefully still a, uh, enough to give you a good conversation tonight. And I just hope you'll forgive the not perfect audio, because we'll be getting back to the normal as fast as we can. Vintage audio. The reason, though, we wanted to still make sure we were doing this tonight is because we're coming to you not only in podcast form, but also live on Twitch.tv. Um, both Paul and myself have been streaming a lot more, and we've been talking about how can we take the podcasts we do and put them live onto the streams as well. Doing that allows us to get feedback and interaction, uh, take your questions, take your comments live as we're recording. And since Paul, on his his Twitch stream, Zen Madman, recently had his 50th follower, uh, he had uh, promised that 50th follower that we would do a podcast episode of their choosing. I was not informed of this, but, you know, I've informed Paul enough times that he was voluntold to be a guest on one of my things. I think we can get away with it. Especially because, to be totally frank, the question suggested is a great one, and amusingly gets into topics we've already been kind of dancing around and haven't really had a chance to dive right into. So... I'm really excited for this. Paul, how are you feeling tonight? And kind of just say hello and talk a bit about that. And then why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us who was the uh, your 50th follower and read their question. Yeah, I'm, ex- I'm psyched. I'm, I'm excited to do this episode. Um, I, I gave a variety of things that a person could request. One of the places <laughs> that I was uh, telling people, you know, making this offer was the, the Stranded Panda chat group on Facebook. And so I thought offering a custom podcast was only fitting. If you didn't want to be involved, I would have done it myself, you know, just on my Twitch and uh, maybe edited it or something. I don't know. But it wouldn't have been Wait, what? as good. What? Oh, no. My computer's having trouble again. <laughs> oh, well, I can hear you. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So I think we're fine. Um, I also will have your audio so we can maybe salvage something if something goes wrong. Um, the computer overlords are already very angry at us, but, um, yeah, a big thanks to everybody at at Stranded Panda, as well as, um, a bunch of friends and, and people I've recently found on Twitch. Uh, I, I was trying to get to 50 followers to become a, um, a Twitch affiliate and, uh, I, am at 71 now, a few days later. So, uh, I'm very, very grateful to everybody. Um, but especially to free CP lad, uh, 3454, who, um, for the 50th episode, they, or 50th episode as the 50th follower, they requested this particular episode. Uh, they, they actually have this kind of, 
um, sort of open-ended thing, and they're like, oh, do one or two or three of those, or one or two of them. I, I actually feel like we can kind of hit all of them, because, uh, Matthew, I think you, you notice that two of them fit into something we're already very interested in, and the third, right. I think we can just kind of, like, touch on briefly. Definitely. Yes, go ahead and read their email. All right. So, uh, Free CP Lat says, I am a huge Marvel, Star Wars, and Harry Potter fan. I'd love it if you would do a special podcast episode from one of the following. One, Marvel. Which Marvel comic stories would you love to see in live action? Is there any smaller characters such as Ghost Rider, Gambit, or Jubilee you would like to see and why? Uh, two, Star Wars. Would you like to see movies that take, between, take place between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope? Um, is there a possibility for a Luke Skywalker trilogy in the future? Three, uh, Harry Potter. Just your thoughts on the franchise and if there can be more Harry Potter movies that take place a few years after Deathly Hallows. Um, possible thoughts on J.K. Rowling and if she'll eventually sell the complete rights to Universal. I've been loving all the MCU podcasts. Uh, I found it in January and I have listened since. Awesome. So first, thanks for listening and loving the podcast and giving feedback. And, um, and for being my 50th follower, I guess, um, I'm going to go ahead and answer question number one. Cause I think it's kind of the simplest just in terms yeah, sure. of, I have some thoughts on it, but let's dive into that one. And then we'll get into kind of our main topic. Sounds good. Um, so personally, I, I would love to see more of Gambit, Jubilee and Ghost Rider, all of those. Um, they also mentioned, uh, that Robbie Reyes was one of their favorite characters. And I thought that, uh, the Robbie Reyes Ghost Rider arc in uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was, was really good. I, I really enjoyed that. Definitely. So I would I would be happy to see that character again. Uh, Gambit and Jubilee are two characters who showed up in the, you know, the Foxverse like really very little. I was kind of excited to see Jubilee for... I don't, I don't even know why. Like, I don't know Jubilee that well, but Jubilee was a significant character in the animated show which is kind of one of my favorite X-Men things. Um, and then also like having a little bit more Asian American representation would be nice. Um, and I think the, you know, the, a lot of the, the MCU has been pretty light in that. Um, and then Gambit also, I just really enjoy Gambit. Like I love the accent. I love the sort of anti-hero roguish, whatever could be an X-Man could be, uh, an antagonist. Um, it feels sort of like a, a, a lighter kind of Magneto in terms of like, where the character fits on the spectrum of like heroes to villains, but yeah, I can see that. is like kind of like, and I don't know, uses playing cards, uh, was in that one scene, right? With Daniel Negreanu in, um, yeah, in I think it's all we've got. The, from yeah. So I, I'd, I'd like to see a Gambit movie. I'd like to see a Jubilee movie, or I'd like to see either or both of them get a bigger role in, um, any upcoming, you know, mutants in the MCU. Oh, yeah. and I would like to see Wolverine, and Venom together, like a symbiote infecting Wolverine. I want to see that. I just think it would yeah. be cool looking. I don't know. I, th- I think that sounds really good. Um, I'm sorry, can, you, can we pause for just one second? Yes, please pause. Oh, yes, that'd be fantastic. Okay, uh, apologies. Uh, we have someone who's going to come over and help me fix my computer, so I'm just going to move this into a different room. Fantastic. Um, we have some feedback in the chat from Free CP Lad themselves. Um, they say, I freaking love Gambit. Have you all seen the X-Men animated series in the 90s? He was my favorite. Yes. Yes, I have. It has, I think, the second best theme song after Batman Beyond. Uh, but I, I, that's where I got my love of Gambit, honestly, was the 1990s 
um, animated series. It, it was so good. The also, I mean, like Rogue. Can we talk about Rogue for a minute? Like Rogue was so nerfed in the Fox Men movies, right? I mean, and I really want to see a Rogue that's really powerful and much more like um, Rogue was in that animated series and the relationship between Rogue and Gambit or their interactions. Uh, I really enjoyed as well. So, um, yeah, I would, uh, yeah, the theme song was indeed iconic. Um, I Definitely. agree. I, I just have a couple of quick responses to what you said, and then I'll throw out on uh, my own. I think uh, a lot of those stories are ones I would love to hear, to see told, especially because I actually like a lot of the X-Men stories that we already got. And it sucks that the X-Men stories weren't in the MCU, but I do feel like we've had their stories fairly well told, um, particularly with Professor X and with Magneto, but honestly, especially with Wolverine. And I think a lot of what I like about what you're talking about isn't even just the specific characters themselves. It's that I would love to get more X-Men movies. I don't want to once again have Magneto and X and Wolverine, and frankly, yeah. especially Wolverine. I... I think Hugh Jackman's performance as Wolverine was so iconic that I don't really want to see another Wolverine on screen. Mm. Um, and, and so it's kind of the flip side, but that's why I'm super excited to see pretty much any of these new X-Men you're talking about. Um, the one, though, that I think that I'm most excited for, and we have seen this a bit, and I would really like it to be with the same actors, but to explore a new area, and this is going to kind of touch into our second question, Daredevil and Jessica Jones, mm. in their comics, one of the primary things that they do, you know, Daredevil, Matt Murdock is a lawyer. Jessica Jones is a private investigator. Sometimes they work together. Sometimes they work on their own. But what both of them are primarily doing in the comic books when they're doing that part of their profession is investigating things having to do with superpowers. Right. And this is everything from defending uh, clients who are caught up in the uh, Sokovia Accord type things to, um, you know, dealing with a wife who thinks that her spouse is a superhero and isn't telling her and kind of investigating that story. Like, there's just such a wide range of things that a lawyer and a, and a private investigator could do poking around in this world of superheroes and, and, and looking at a whole sorts of questions that... The MCU hasn't really explored. So I think for me, those would be the two I would most like to see. Because we, we've had them before, but I'd love to really get into more of that side of the comic book character. Yeah, I, I would love... To, I'm conflicted in terms of Daredevil and Jessica, Jessica Jones, just because I feel like... Well, I didn't love where the Jessica Jones story ended up, but I loved season <clears throat> one, and I felt like uh, it was... You know, it's one of the best pieces of superhero fiction... I've seen, if you even call it superhero fiction, right? I mean, I don't think she would see herself as a superhero per se, but, uh, you know, a powered individual. Um, but, you know, Daredevil, I just, I think it was so well done. And I'm like, don't take the character and then do bad things with them. Uh, but yeah. I do, I do love those two characters. And the other thing that was like, kind of also what you're talking about is these kind of smaller stories and mm -hmm. so when they do bring mutants into the MCU, 
they'll pro I mean, who knows what they're going to do, but honestly, with some of these characters, you can have smaller stories where they're not trying to save the world, where there's not some, you know, the fate of everything isn't in the balance. Like, maybe Gambit's just trying to steal something, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, maybe Jubilee is dealing with, like, teenager stuff. I don't know, but, like... You things don't have to be so big, and I think one of the things about these really connected universes is the bigger a given threat is, the less credible it becomes that any given character is like in a solo movie without yeah. calling in help, right? So if there's a small problem, then it makes sense that one person is like, okay, I got this, right? But when it becomes like the fate of the world or reality, or whatever, it's like, no, it doesn't make any sense anymore, right? So, I would really, also, I just enjoy these small stories. I like the big ones, too, but it's like, you know, I'm a bit wary of, like, sky beams, and, you know, energy blasts, and whatever. It's like, give me some, like, you know, hand-to-hand combat, and, and struggle over just, like, a few characters, or, like, you know, a neighborhood, like, like Daredevil yeah. did, so... Seeing, you know, some some of these kind of more ground-level characters I would definitely enjoy. Well, I really like what you said about, you know, there's sometimes a danger of the story was so good, it's kind of like you don't want to mess up, you mm-hmm. know? Like, just, just leave it be because any new stuff is possibly going to make it worse. It's and almost like that leads into our next topic. It's kind of like that is because, uh, again, thank you so much, FreeCP Lad, for this great question. And what I decided to do here is to use your question as kind of a, uh, a jumping off point to get into this larger question of, you know, what happens when we start, when we have a completed set of media and then we start to add more stories that are specifically trying to, as you were kind of suggesting with your things, you know, either tell the story of what happens next or tell the story of what happened before. Because I think they will. I, I think that a lot of the, the, the problems, I think, Paul, that when you and I come up with about these things is often due to feeling frustrated about either like something was so good and they should have just left it alone or that like, you know, it's it sort of by, by pointing the camera at the thing that up till now happened off screen, it can get pretty frustrating. And sometimes mm-hmm. it, it can't, it doesn't match up with what we thought it was going to be or, or that kind of stuff. And I, don't, I don't think it's just negative. I think there could be a lot of huge positives to it. But I think that kind of frames the, the general thought of the question. We're going to use um, what, what this, uh, your follower sent in to kind, of, to kind of jump into. And we're definitely going to focus on Star Wars and Harry Potter with also bringing in some stuff from the MCU and some other universes. So, Paul, let me just kind of throw it out to you. What are kind of your general thoughts on this topic? Uh, yeah. So <laughs> I think there's, there's two things that play in opposite directions. One... When you create a world that I really enjoy and characters that I really enjoy, I want to see more from them, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I want to know, sometimes I want to know what happens next or what else is going on in this world or like, oh, well, what happened over there when this was happening? On the other hand, I have found that the vast majority of... um, pieces of media that finish their run and are put down for a while and then are picked up again later. Just when they come back, there's just always going to be disappointment because there's so much that first of all, I find in general, the quality is not there. 
That's not always mm-hmm. true, but often I, I feel like the qualities of a lower level. But another thing that happens is just, you know, some people watch a given thing, it's over, right? Maybe a couple years later there's a sequel, and maybe you can pull it off because it hasn't been that long. But when something's gone like a decade or more, and then sort of sat there and marinated, like, if there's a, a really, if there are a lot of really dedicated fans... There's all this stuff that's already happened off screen or there's an idea about um, what, where these characters are going to go that people have lived with in their minds for a long time. And I think yeah. it can sort of start to calcify. And then when you tell a story that really contradicts people's mental image of, of these characters, like when you tell a given story, there's a lot of, there's a lot of room still, right? For, mm-hmm. um, for like... In one story, we can understand a lot about a character, but we can't understand everything about a character. And future things are often going to try and tell us something new about the character we hadn't thought about. But, like, if you loved that character in one story, and then you find out some other stuff, that can kind of make, you know, like, make you look at that character differently in the future and and kind of maybe have, for me, I mean, it can have... Actually, I don't think it actually has a negative effect on the earlier media. I was I was halfway through saying that, and I was like, you know what? I just decanonize whatever I don't like in my head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, like, I find that powerful. But I, I'm not sure everybody feels that power, you know, over their own, yeah. like... Yeah, like, for me, the end of Dexter just isn't the end of Dexter. Like, I rewrote it in my mind, and I can kind of let go of it. At the time, I was pretty upset, you know? I was like, yeah. what are you doing? Um, and I, but I kind of knew that I was going to hate the end. Like a lot of shows I'm like, oh, what are they going to do now? But yeah, it just, that's kind of a long winded way of saying like, I often, I used to be very excited to see what happened next, but then too many things have taken off a substantial period of time, come back and been really disappointing to me that I, I am very cautious when, when a new version or a new piece about a, a previous story kind of kind of comes out. I think that's a really good way to put it. I, think, I really like the way you framed it, especially in terms of like all the things that it can happen. I, I think to best understand the kind of thing we're talking about, I think the idea that a significant amount of time has passed, I also think an important thing here is that we're probably dealing with a new author. Mm, uh, yeah. Like, you know, to me, like, well, I mean, it gets kind of hazy because like George Lucas was, he did write the prequels himself, but, um, yeah, uh, like yeah I, that would be an exception, but... Yeah, that would be an exception, because I think those are also pretty bad. But generally, like, we're talking about things where, like, creative control has passed on to someone new. Mm-hmm. Or even just enough time has passed that the sort of cultural ethos has changed. Right. Like, I think one of the things that has really... Especially in the last couple of years, as a lot of these stories are getting new chapters added, there's something that happens when a story that was told before the grim dark era... Mm now has new stories added during the Grimdark era. Yeah. And like that that's, I think, the most recent version we can look at. But I think that happens, you know, all the time as sensibilities change. Um, Before sometimes it can really work. The original Star Trek had, was very much a story of like 1960s optimism and mm. the idea that science would conquer all. And by the 90s and, and going forward with uh, the 80s, I guess, even in the 90s, with the next generation, understandings of science and nature and deities and how all these things interact had changed quite dramatically. And so the show changed and 
Star Trek, I think, is often held up as one of the better examples of this, and I'll, I'll yeah. get into why uh, when we get into some things that can be good or bad. But I think you also really hit on... So I just want to kind of add those to the list, but I think you really hit on the, the real concerns that can happen. Um, and one thing I just kind of use an example of what you were saying about how things can kind of calcify in public opinion, mm-hmm. that sometimes those things are because it's a, like, it's something that is kind of remembered, but it can be, like, you can interpret it in different ways. Sometimes it can just be a, a memory that's flat out wrong. You know, yeah. the Mandela effect can come into play. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Um, my personal favorite example of this is you say the movie Casablanca and most people are going to be like, oh, yeah, play it again, Sam. Mm-hmm. A line which was never spoken in that movie. Yeah. You know, if you played it for her, you can play it for me, Sam. Like, similar ideas were played, but never those exact words. Yeah. And I think that's a very extreme example, and that's one where people would see the movie, like, you didn't have the ability to go watch it again and be like, oh, what did he actually say? But I think those are the kind of things that can come up. So I'm excited for us to really kind of dive deeper and really kind of look at, like, what, what makes something good, what makes something bad, and, and get into those questions that were asked about what kind of stories would we or wouldn't we want to see. And let me just start here, because I think, to me, one of the, I think, the biggest dividing lines is, is this a prequel or is this a sequel? And by that, I mean, are you telling a story where you already know where the characters wind up and the story winds up, and now you're going to tell us about how everything got there? Or is this the story of what happens after the last thing we've seen? And it's all kind of new territory. Do you have strong feelings about which one of those kind of like the different problems with those two or the different advantages of those two? Yeah, I uh, I think each has its own problems and each has its own advantages. Uh, prequels, obviously, like you kind of know where the story's going to end up. Um, yeah. you know, spoilers for Rogue One, which is, <laughs> I would say, one of my favorite prequels ever. Um, yes. one of the, the only of the new Star Wars movies, the only of the Star Wars movies since Return of the Jedi that I just love, like without any hesitation, you know, yeah. um, it's a prequel. And before the movie came out, I was like, oh, all these people are clearly going to die. Like, you know, (laughs) I was like, they're going to successfully get the plans for the Death Star, and then they're all going to die. And, like, I know not everybody thought that's what was going to happen, and so I guess it wasn't that obvious. But I was just like, this is definitely what's going to happen. Because these characters, if they're important and they do this thing, then they should have been in the original trilogy. So they're just going to bump them all off. And, uh, you know, they did. And it... I think being prepared for that actually kind of made it a little easier to take for me. And I'm, I've talked on the last episode about like taking, taking character deaths like harder, I think than most people. Um, but in this case, like, I don't even know if I would have been mad anyway, because like, it just, it was like, yeah, that's, that's what would happen. You know, it, yeah. it felt logical. It didn't feel contrived. It just felt like, you know, this, this great sacrifice that these people made trying to, you know, save the galaxy basically from the empire. And, um, so that, that was a rare one where it's like, you know, the problem, you know, with sequels, you know how the story is going to end. So it has to be all about with how, prequels, you mean. with what, with prequels. Thank you. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Yes. Not with sequels. <laughs> um, sometimes they're so predictable, you know, how it's going to end, but, also um, true. yeah, but yeah, with prequels, it's like, you know the end point, and so it's all about the journey. And I think that can be very liberating, where it's just like, you know, you're, the, the stakes aren't necessarily 
about what's going to happen. The stakes are about, you know, how the people are going to feel about what's happening and how people go about things. And, um, and, and so I think you can do a prequel well, right? Um, but one of the biggest challenges with prequels is, you know, what's going to happen. So, yeah. you know, you can't have stakes that way. But also, you know, you've maybe referred to this time period before. You've built up an expectation about what it was like. Like when Obi-Wan in A New Hope talks about the Clone Wars, I don't picture this three-year period where yeah. he was fighting against, you know, like robots that were mostly kind of goofy. Like, that's not how I picture the Clone Wars going, you know, when I watch A New Hope. And that's, I feel like actually sort of like the fighter pilot stuff actually does really resonate and connect with kind of how he described Anakin. But, you know, you set up, people have such an idea of how things were, and then you know what's going to happen. And that's a challenge with prequels. The challenge with sequels, I think, is more like, you know, whether a story is a comedy or a tragedy or whatever often depends on where you end the story. Right. Right. And so, and that's where the kind of ever after, ever after thing goes where, you know, like I always enjoyed Robin Hood. And then I went to see a double feature a long time ago of um, the Errol Flynn Robin Hood. This was like right after Men in Tights came out. So this was a little kind of like, oh yeah, well, we're going to show the real Robin Hood movies. And then they played <laughs> Robin and Marion, where I think Sean Connery played like an old Robin Hood and he was fighting, like, I think the the sheriff of Nottingham, who I think wasn't the sheriff anymore. And, like, it was just so, like, I was like, I don't, I don't want to see this part of this character's life. And yeah. I'm happy to see good stories about older characters. Like, I really would like to see more of that. I think, you know, we talk about all sorts of representation and what kinds of, you know, representation we're lacking. And I think, like, older people particularly who aren't in positions of great power, right? Like, we don't have a lot of stories about that. And so I like to see that. But I don't necessarily want to see a particular character, like, in this other phase of their life. And and that's one of the things I didn't like so much about, you know, The Last Jedi as well. But um, it just... Sequels, like, yeah, it's like, now you've changed and you can so easily just totally step on, like, everything that everybody did in whatever came before the sequels. It's like, oh, well, that didn't matter because then actually this is what happened. Yeah, I, I think you captured it really well. I'm glad you brought up Rogue One because we'll get to the exact details of why I think um, Rogue One is such a successful sequel, uh, prequel. But, but to me, I, I think Star Wars is kind of the perfect example of this because for me, Rogue One is, I think, one of the best prequels I've ever seen. I think the prequel trilogy is one of the worst. <laughs> and, yeah. and we're going to get, in terms of the whys, I think it's because of all the stuff you talked about. I think there are a number of specific reasons and thing, you know, especially being like Rogue One is about characters we've never met before. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is a, and there's a, a, a distinction I don't want to get into too far here, but yeah. I think it's a very important one of, are you continuing the story of particular characters or are you continuing the story of a world, of a universe, of a like overall narrative? And I think you really got, but for me, I think there's a couple of other specific things that can really go wrong with prequels and make them a lot harder. One of which is, like, you're right, I think, that it can be hard to sort of, like, a character's story arc has gotten wrapped up, and, like, we don't want to see them, like, all the problems that happen. I sometimes do, but at least I know it's a new direction. Mm-hmm. With a prequel, you know, the characters we like probably went on some kind of narrative arc. Right. 
giving them a whole other narrative arc can be difficult when they have to get to a particular place. And mm -hmm. I'll, I'll give you, for example, Solo. One of my biggest problems with the movie Solo is, and again, this is like stuff that like you can arguably claim that it still fits the canon, but it doesn't fit the canon as I've understood it for the last 40 years of watching that movie. Right. Well, those movies, is that Han Solo is a scoundrel. Mm -hmm. He is a person who is out for himself, who is, you know, looking to get the next big score, looking to stay ahead of Jabba, looking to flirt with a pretty girl and maybe rescue the princess because he'll get a kiss and a big, big pile of money. And that's who he is. And that the course of that movie allows him to discover that, you know, as I've said before, and to reference our other project, he is the grumpiest Hufflepuff of all time. <laughs> um, you know, he will go back and save his friend, even though he really doesn't want to. Yeah, yeah. And so to me, like, I don't think that he has to have been, like, age three years old a scoundrel. But to me, that has to have always been kind of a pretty big part of his character. And so instead to get a movie that he actually was, you know, the sweet, lovable Hufflepuff way back in the day, but then some hard things happened and a girl broke his heart, and so then he becomes this scoundrel. But then another pretty girl can come along and pull him back. It, it to me, it so cheapens and changes his story. Mm. And people can agree or disagree with my particular interpretation of Han Solo's character, but I feel like that's the kind of that's the kind of thing you run into in prequels all the time. Um, as well as I think you get into the dangers of. So I think that the, the, the there's a character thing. There's also the way in which just the world can feel different. Mm -hmm. You know, as you said, Paul. When, when Obi-Wan makes the offhand reference and Luke says, my father fought in the Clone Wars, I don't think of what we got in the prequels. To me, that image was very different. And, and even more so, and I don't know if you didn't bring this up because you thought I was going to, because we bring it up all the time. When the you know Imperial officer, I think it's an admiral or general, you know, talks to Vader about his devotion to that ancient right. forgotten... I think he just says ancient religion, ancient but other religion. people also yeah. say similar things yeah. about how the Force is long forgotten. Right. The Jedi are these creatures of mystery and myth and legend. And yet, according to the prequels, they were alive and well literally 20 years ago. Yeah. And, and even, like, according to then, like, Rebels is one of my all-time favorite shows. But according to Rebels, the, the Empire was well aware of fighting Jedi five years before right. Death Star. Yeah. Like um, hours before, practically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so things things like that just start to make the credibility of it harder and harder to believe in. So that that to me is one major problem. A second is just if you do want to tell the same characters, you almost always can't use the same actors. Oh yeah. Because now, like, actors are going forward in time, and your story is going backwards in time. Yeah. And you know whatever you think about Luke's particular journey, or even Han's or Leia's at least we got to see those same actors play those same characters, which yeah. I thought was great. Um, with the exception of Ewan McGregor, I didn't buy most of the actors we've gotten as kind of examples of the young... I mean, Anakin I think of as a new character because we only met Vader. We never met Anakin. Right. But like, I certainly didn't buy the guy in Solo with Han Solo. Um, a number of the other, you know, kind of the younger version of it, it never really connected with me. Um... And even like even Obi Wan, I think honestly even Clone Wars Obi Wan, I, I came to believe more. Yeah. Um, and I think they're both fun characters, but they 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 never really connected to me with Alec Guinness in the same way. And the third thing is, 
and this isn't true for all stories, but I think especially for stories in the realm we're talking about, where we're dealing with superpowers and science fiction and space magic and all that. Like, I mean, there's a fundamental problem of filmmaking technology advances. Mm, yeah. And like Star Trek, I think, has been especially guilty of this. Although they, they kind of make it work. But I think in, in Star Wars as well, it can become a problem where you're telling a story in – I mean, just a basic example. Like in original Star Wars, like by the time of the prequels, they're able to use much better technology to show, you know, 1970s, like all the screens are basically monochrome. Um, the prequels somehow have better technology. It's a small thing, but things like that really kind of, for me, take away from my ability to kind of sink into that world. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it sounds like we're both kind of similar. I think I, I'm a little more anti-prequel than you are, but I think we both agree that like you, you can do them both well, but they, they both have very different challenges. Oh, I mean, I used Rogue One as a prequel that I love because I can't think of any others. Okay. Like, I mean, like, Godfather 2, I think, does a great job of telling, like, Vito's younger days while also being the greatest sequel of all time. Um, yeah. But it, is, it is both the, one of the best prequels and one of the best sequels in the same movie. Exactly. Which is damn impressive. Exactly. It's amazing. Um, I, I, but, I, but to your point about Rogue One, like, it's not really a prequel. From story standpoint, yes. But it's a totally different cast of characters, and I think that's one reason that it works so well. Um, Solo, I didn't think was a great movie. I didn't hate it the way you did. Um, The character thing doesn't bother me. But, like, Mm -hmm. Luke's character in Last Jedi bothers me, but doesn't bother you. And I think both those two examples kind of speak to different people can have different ways that they see a character. And when they've seen that character through a certain period of time... And then that vision kind of becomes calcified. And then you show something right. like way in the past or way in the future. I think it, it really gives us some, um, uh, it, 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 it's just not going to work for everybody the way something new might work for, I think, a broader uh, you know, group yeah. of people. And I think just kind of naming, naming something I think really helps explain what we're talking about in terms of like the way different people connect to things. If my understanding is six-year-old you related a lot more to Luke and six-year-old me related a lot more to Han. Yeah. Yeah. So it's unsurprising, (laughs) right? Yeah. Like we, we've each held on to that idea for, you know, 35 years. Yeah. Um, Uh, I should stop naming the number. Just say a lot of years. uh, Um, (laughs) For some time. (laughs) I I do want to add a quick aside, uh, because I'm sure a listener will probably write in about this if I don't. Godfather 2 one of the reasons why they're able to do such a good job of telling both a prequel and a sequel is that pretty much all of that, mm. um, a lot of details are added, but pretty much all of both the looking forward and looking back stories were included in the original novel. Right. So, so by Mario Puzo. So that's at least one, like just kind of, the yeah. movie is telling it, but like the story was already always yeah. there. Well, yeah, it's like where did Game of Thrones go off the rails, according to most people? Yeah. You know, it's yeah, like, it's... <laughs> yeah, when, and and that's like original creator versus just like adaptation, right? I mean, the movies, The Godfather one and two, were adaptations, but you know they they drew on uh, you know a very rich book. Um, right. I, I do want to also mention one more thing. Um, Free CP Lad says in the chat, um, an example for me is Clone Wars Season 7. It's a prequel, but it was so well done that it made me cry. Uh, but Matthew makes a good point. It is very tricky to make movies in this concept. Um, Clone Wars Season 7 is actually my uh, number one example of something that, 
like the Clone Wars took a break, it got canceled and they came back and did one more season. And I think that's yeah. the best season. And yeah. I was like, oh, okay. I liked the Clone Wars. All right, I'll see this when I see it. And then I started watching it. And I was like, oh, this is really good. And then I saw the, you know, Ahsoka, you know, the sort of second arc. And I was like, oh, this is really good. And then I saw the last arc and I was like, this might be the best Star Wars stuff I've ever seen. But yeah. like, <laughs> it was right? so good. It was so good. But again, like those were characters, like yeah, they took a break between season six and seven, but it wasn't so long. And, but also those were characters who weren't, you know, most of the, mostly the screen time is not characters who are so central um, to yeah. the stories that we've seen on, on the big screen. And so I think there weren't these expectations of like, oh, what Ahsoka was doing during Order 66. Right. And then we see it and we're like, oh, wow. You know, like I, I'm actually like moved just thinking of that whole that whole arc. Um, Me too. It was so and, good. And I, I think just staying with Star Wars for a second, I, I think I would put this out as a theory and tell me if you agree with this, mm -hmm. that for the most part, there can always be exceptions, but that for the most part, um, Prequels and sequels work. Is the the more problems come when you're trying to stay closer to either the original story itself or to the characters themselves. Hundred percent. In that, because part of what makes Clone Wars, I think, so good, and as well as Rogue One, as well as that argue Mandalorian, yeah, is like a lot. When you're telling me more of Luke Skywalker's story. You and I have had a whole number of years to think about what did we think happened with Luke. Yeah. But neither you and I, like, I always knew that, like, the Rebels had, had won some great victory in order to steal the plans to the Death Star. Mm -hmm. But I never really seriously thought about what that looked like. Right. I knew that there was, uh, after the, um, the Empire was defeated, you know, I knew that there was going to be all kinds of like chaos and stuff, but I never really thought seriously about what that must look like. And mm -hmm. so Mandalorian, and also that none of those characters are people. Yeah. You know, who like, and I would say like, honestly, the one, the one major problem I have with Mandalorian is exactly this, that at some point they're going to have to explain what happened to Grogu. Right. You know, yeah. why was Grogu part of, uh, you know, whatever else happened, both, like, before, because Grogu somehow escaped, you know, from Anakin Order 66, yeah. but also in terms of, like, where's Grogu by the time of the post schools movie? I mean, it was our, the, it's R2 both times, right, clearly. Yeah, I think that's very true. <laughs> that's just, that's just headcanon, 100%. But totally, yeah, like, I don't even want to think about it. Like, I'm just like, yeah. no. Like, I mean, I've personally, de I've, like, separated the post school movies into their own separate canon, you know? Yeah. Um, and eventually we'll have our Rise of Skywalker episode coming out, right? Um, Unless it's, it's a really funny story I, here. We thought Ashley's uh, uh, cop sound had been deleted. Oh. Her husband did Herculean efforts, Ken, to rescue the sound. And my sound is on the computer that has just totally died. So. Oh, wow. Okay, my sound is fine. I'll just cut it together with mine. And then I'll try to remember what you all said and do like voice impersonations. There you go. That, yeah. I, I might actually pay you to hear that episode. Also, <laughs> it would be entertaining, if nothing else. Yeah. And it probably would be nothing else. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Mandalorian... Oh, I just wanted to I, I just... That, no, sorry. I just really want to agree with you about Mandalorian. Because, yeah, like... Yeah, it's a sequel, right? It's a sequel to Return of the Jedi, in terms of time period. Um, it's also a prequel 
to <laughs> The Force Awakens and the, the sequel trilogy, right? It's like, but it's its own story or set of stories set somewhere that we didn't spend a whole lot of time. And it just kind of touches places, but it, there's very little crossover. And I think as long as they keep the story small, that'll keep working. The bigger the story gets, yeah. the more problematic I think it can become. I, I think that's a great way to put it. I was going to say kind of like the lower the lens gets, you know, the more that we're telling. Mm-hmm. Similarly, like I love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think I'm one of the only people, who, this isn't really a prequel or a sequel, but it's the same idea. I love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in its first season when it really was them running around the MCU, oh, yeah. taking care of the things that were too small for the Avengers to notice mm-hmm. and thus weren't quite worthy of being in an MCU film. Right. And, I think it's it's a great example of the problems because once the stories there became bigger and bigger and bigger, they no longer could fit into the canon, mm-hmm. and it is now basically been officially decanonized. Right. So, so let's kind of we're kind of ba- bouncing around a lot of this, but let's just kind of make it a little bit more systematic. What are the good sides? What are the good parts of getting to explore these new new stories? We've we've, we've said it kind of a couple. But what do you think are like? What's the best parts of getting getting to go back to a universe that we thought we were done hearing about? Um, well, first of all, I want to say that I think Agents of Shield has been pruned from the timeline. That's uh, okay. That's <laughs> how, how I'm going to look at it. But no spoilers for what we're referring to there. But... Right. Just if you know, you know. Um, right. Good. Good things about so like having a world that's more built out. There's just more things you can do, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of work goes into creating a setting, and you can create a wonderful setting and put it on display in one movie, but if it's one and done, then it's like, okay, that's cool. But you often have to end up spending like a lot of time explaining stuff. One thing I appreciate about the Star Wars movies, like especially like the original trilogy is like, there wasn't a ton of time spent like on like expositional dialogue about this alien race or that alien race or these politics or Mm -hmm. whatever. It's like, you know, you just accept it. That's just the setting and they showed it to you. Um, yeah. you know, and they talked about the force, but that was mostly in, you know, there was, there was some exposition there, but like, you know, it, it takes a lot of work to build out a, a, a universe. And I mean, even if it all takes place in like one city or something, right. It, there's a lot of effort that goes into that. And so you can get more and more levels of depth and complexity. You can explore a character deeper and deeper. Um, and yeah. And I mean, showing different time periods in a character's life, I think is a very interesting idea. I mean, I had an idea where I was thinking I wanted to like write a series of short stories, like 10 years apart in a character's life, right? When they're like five, 15, 25, 35 to like 95 or whatever, maybe 105. I don't know. Uh, more old people stories, but like <laughs> it, it, um, it, it's a challenge, right? But it, it, it gives you room to expand and have things cross over and so I think the upside is very high, but I do think it can end up being a little bit like of House of Cards, where when one thing starts to kind of not hold as well, then everything can it can kind of undermine everything else potentially. Yeah, I, I think that's very true, and I think I, I like what you're talking about there about the chance to explore more of these things. And I'll say, um, especially to pull it back to one of the other top, one of the other. Uh, ideas we're talking about. We've mostly been talking about Harry Potter. We've mostly been talking Star Wars so far because Star Wars, we've had prequels and sequels. Yeah. Harry Potter, we haven't really. We have a little bit with like the plays and stuff, but for the most part, we haven't. And it's all so far been written by 
uh, J.K. Rowling, who I have a lot of thoughts on, and we'll definitely yep. get to in a bit. Yep. Um, but one of the things that I I love is, and this is why I named the episode one I did. <clears throat> by the way, I'm naming it after a wonderful series of acapella music videos mm-hmm. that are. Um, you can find them on YouTube by searching "After Ever After," and the guy basically like uses the music of Disney video of Disney movies to continue the story and say like, okay, what happened after our prince swept the princess up in his arms and rode off into the sunset? And I love that because I think a lot of times what we walk away from is the idea of, you know, they had their first kiss, so now they live happily ever after for the next 50 years. Anyone who's been in a relationship for more than three weeks probably knows it doesn't quite work that way. Um, Quick uh, unrelated plug, except that the actor is also going to be in Eternals. Um, one of my favorite rom-coms, and rom-coms genre I, I love, is called The Big Sick. And it's a movie where maybe only the first third of it or so is the actual rom-com, and then a lot of it's like what happens afterwards mm. um, as they're trying to build, you know, whatever they're going to build and things like that. Um, and, and so, to me, I'll specifically, and one of the things I think that I can like about this is it can really help go into this idea of the big evil thing that happened that threatened the whole world has now been defeated, but that doesn't mean that everything's magically better. Right. You now have to ask, what were the conditions that allowed Emperor Palpatine to come to power? You now have to ask, what are the conditions that let so many wizards think that Voldemort was the answer? You know, and. Right. Uh, to me, that's, we're getting into much more systemic issues. We're getting into much more questions of, like, I, I, like to me, it's not even just that it's good storytelling. It's that I think the idea of everything is perfect, but then one terrible person comes along, and one great person comes along, and the great person kills the terrible person, and everything in the world is back to normal and back to should be. And there's no problems ever again. And that's just not how the world works. And so probably not how these other universes work. So, like, to me especially, I would love to see a story. Um, I would want to... I'll make my quick Harry Potter caveat here, which is that I am... For myself, I am never again going to give a dollar to J.K. Rowling. So I am not going to pay money for any product that she is involved with. If at some point the level of um, pressure on her and people boycotting her gets big enough or just for whatever reason she decides to sell the property and people who are, like, not awful human beings with blood on their hands the way she is will become involved again, I'll happily pay money for it. Um, but, but where I'm going with that is, so I would actually love to see a story about what happens to the wizarding world 10 years after Voldemort or 20 years or 50 years. Mm-hmm. And are there some people who still think of him as like, it, it's funny, we've been, there's been conversations recently about like what happens if different political leaders in our own world die. And, and one thing I've said is like, when a person dies, they often don't go away. They become a martyr. Right. And in some ways, like the Mandela effect we talked about, like 20 years after someone dies, you don't remember their foibles. You, if you're a fan of them, you only remember their good parts. And I can see there being some people, you know, we have 20 years in the Harry Potter world of lots of people getting really excited about, you know, muggle rights and all these good things. And the people who don't like it, the purebloods, the ones who are upset that they're losing all their power, they start to forget that Voldemort was a genocidal maniac who would kill them if they ever did something wrong. They just remembered that Voldemort was on their side. And so I think that's the other great thing that these stories can kind of do is they, they can give us that context. They can help us to better understand, you know. 
Um, the Clone Wars, I think, was very sloppy in how it did it. But I do think the prequels, to some extent, and even more so the Clone Wars TV shows, helped you understand how is it possible that the Republic fell? How is it possible that the Jedi fell? How is it possible that Palpatine was able to come to power the way he did? And how is it possible that Anakin ended up where he ended up? Yeah, exactly. Like, like it shows you. You know, it's funny because I think my generally when I think about the movie Rise of Skywalker, sorry, Revenge of the Sith, and you ask me, like, did it do a good job of showing Anakin's fall? I'll say no, it was terrible. Because frankly, the scene where, you know, Mace Windu is about to kill the Emperor and uh, Anakin jumps in and like, no, what have I done? I mean, just the acting, the dialogue, the directing are just off. The, the um, lightsaber backswing. Just, oh just, just run him through. Just run him <laughs> through with that purple lightsaber. Come on, man. But if you take that moment aside and just watch the conversations between Palpatine and Anakin mm-hmm. and the way Palpatine is pulling the strings to intentionally cause the Jedi Council to push Anakin away and then stoking his feelings of manipulation and fear and upsetness, that is actually a brilliant telling mm-hmm. of the fall of Anakin Skywalker. So, so yeah, so I feel like they, you, they can do great things, but then, but it's also just all these struggles. So, and, and I'll let you respond to that and we'll kind of get into the next thing. I think that was the last uh, one of these that we did live, right? With Jeff Randall? Yeah, I we think so, yeah. <laughs> uh, Revenge of the Sith. That was fun. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I think there are parts of um, of Revenge of the Sith like that part is really good. But I I agree that um, um, oh, what what were we saying? Uh, what were you saying? You were saying <laughs> that um, yeah. Oh, so my my example of a sequel series that I did not like as much as the original. And the first time I saw it, actually, it's weird. Like, the first time I saw it, I enjoyed it. And then the second time, I liked it a little less. And then the third time, I enjoyed it more again. Um, And I just on some level had to appreciate that it wasn't exactly the thing for me the same way the first series had been. And that's that's, um, Avatar The Legend of Korra, where, um, you know, the things that just aren't as... Like, Aang is just one of... There was a question in the Stranded Panda chat the other day, like what character do you identify with most? And Aang is one of my top three, you know? Um, and just, there's so few vegetarian characters and there's so few characters whose best friend is a, a, a flying sky bison, you know? Um, and and Legend of Korra didn't have, you know, the the sort of animal stuff that I really loved. But it, it I mean, first of all, the whole series is about kind of what happens after... You know, there's been a generation, like, there was a generations-long war, it came to an end, and then there's been, like, a generation worth of peace, but things aren't perfect after that. Um, but then even further, like, after season three, uh, you know, someone I would think is a good person, who I guess is cast as a villain, but, um, uh, yeah, they um, they get overthrown. And, um, then there's a power vacuum and things don't, don't, somebody else seizes power. And the, the way they played out kind of that, that sort of what happens after, you know, the big evil person is overthrown. Um, 
and it wasn't necessarily cast exactly that way in that, but we, I mean, with, with Star Wars and Harry Potter, you know, where you have the Emperor or, or Voldemort, it's like, yeah, I, I'd be curious to see. I mean, I think the wizarding world would still be horrible after Voldemort, yeah. you know, because yeah. <laughs> I think their basic premises of, oh, we're going to live totally separately from humans and blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I think wizarding society is deeply racist and very messed up and, um, I have a lot of issues with it, you know? Um, in fact, when I saw Fantastic Beasts, I'm like, this Grindelwald dude has some good points. Now, I don't know everything about Grindelwald, and I'm pretty sure that there's <laughs> some bad stuff going on there. But, um, but, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it, I, I think it would be interesting to tell that story, but I think I would want to see that story mostly probably be new characters. I don't know. Like, I don't feel like Harry Potter is going to become, like, a political leader. Yeah. That's, to me, that's not... I feel like Harry Potter was born, and then, you know, um, is it a curse or a blessing, or whatever, like, his mom cast a spell on him, right? right. And, yeah, like... stuff happens to him, and he, like, the, he fulfills the prophecy. Exactly. Because they try to fulfill the prophecy. It's whole, which is, I fear, kind of a brilliant take on prophecy. But yeah, and, and, but, like, it's a, you know... I feel like that character fulfilled his purpose and further Harry Potter stuff doesn't have to be Harry Potter. Right. Um, and so I think if another author wrote stuff in the wizarding world and it was really good, that would be really good. Um, but they could also butcher it and it could be really bad. I wouldn't want to see Voldemort come back, you know, I wouldn't want to see the disciple of Voldemort. I'd want to see a totally different story. And that's, you know, if we circle back to Star Wars, like, I would have loved to see a sequel trilogy that was about the New Republic, period, full stop. Yes. And maybe there's some other stuff going on. Maybe there's, like, a, a First Order trying to get its stuff together, whatever. But that, to me, could have been a more interesting peripheral issue while you're dealing with, like, you know, the politics of what's going on within the New Republic. And instead, yeah. they were just like, how about... We just make, uh, we undo everything that happened in the first trilogy, and then we just do the first trilogy again. Uh, but we had the second movie that's, like, totally different, and some people are going to love it. Some people might hate it. And then we'll totally ignore that movie when we do the third movie, which is basically a remake of Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I, I would have, I wanted the movies about the Republic. I wanted the movies about, okay, you've defeated the Empire, but it's not easy to take over, you know? And it's interesting. I think, for me... I feel like there's been an evolution, and I'm sure this happens cyclically. Like every time there's big, huge events that happen, people think like, "Okay, we're done now," and but then of course it comes back. You know, I think, I think one of the things that infected a lot of the not infected, like you know, was was a part of the culture a lot of the time was that like fascism's done. You know, we defeated fascism in World War Two. It's over. It's not coming back. And so you could have these stories about one great fascist authoritarian empire or republic, you know, whatever it was, and then the movie, and then they're defeated, and then the world's better. Mm -hmm. In the last 20 or 30 years, we've seen that's not the case. Nazism is dead. Fascism is dead. You know, racism has, I don't think, I think, I think it's a significant part of people were like, oh, Obama's elected. You know, racism's over. Mm -hmm. Uh, The one that I most remember is when the Cold War ended and like the Berlin Wealth the Berlin Wall fell and the Soviet Union fell. I mean, the phrase "this is the end of history" was used <laughs> over and over again, and like you know, that's not the way these things work. And 
And so, yeah, I think I, th I think what we're, we're getting here more and more is just that we want. I am always happy to see a story in a new in the same universe mm -hmm. I love that references like the, the events that I know. Yeah. And maybe even the characters I know, we get to learn more about what happened to them, but we get to tell the stories of new people. You know, like mm -hmm. in the Wizarding World. To me, Harry Potter is. He will always be that guy who took his high school team to the championship and was the absolute king of the world in high school. Right. And then he spent the next 60 years showing everyone his championship ring and trying to relive those glory days. And everyone's like, yeah, Harry, that's fine. You killed Voldemort. But like, <laughs> now we've got this other problem. Right. Um, and like, I kind of like, to me, Avatar The Last Airbender, I agree with you. I didn't like Korra as much as I liked the original. And that's for a couple of reasons. And uh, here's one of those times where I want to say, like, I agree with something that a lot of toxic people also agree with. So to be clear, I think Korra is a fantastic character. I love Korra. I love that she's basically like a PTSD or BPD uh, survivor as the hero who saved the world. There's nothing to do with her. It's a lot of issues about, like, the way they tell the stories of the benders or mm -hmm. the non-benders and all that kind of stuff. 100% cosine, 100%. I love the character. Yeah. Um, I don't relate to the character as much as I relate to Aang, but that's those are that's not my issue with the series at all. Right. But putting that Actually, aside, I think. Yeah. I, yeah, I think the show does something. And I, I would say I like seasons three and four much oh, more. Oh, absolutely, really absolutely. Them. I mean, I, Zaheer I think... is one of my favorite characters in fiction. Yes. <laughs> uh, which... Um, but my point was, I do think that Avatar, uh, Legend of Korra is one of the best examples I've ever seen of telling the story of what happened to our heroes. Mm -hmm. Because, yes, it tells the story of what happened to Aang, but it does it through three unreliable, biased narrators mm -hmm. of his children and, and somewhat his, his wife, his widow now. We never hear this is the official version of what happened to Aang. Right. We have the child who thought Aang lived this heroic, wonderful life. We have the child who thought Aang was a terrible father while he was trying so much to save the air nomads. Like, mm -hmm. And you can see that there's some truth in all of it. Mm -hmm. But they, that it, none of it is just like the movie saying, here's the definitive truth in a way that yeah. like, I agree with Luke's story. You disagree with it. Mm -hmm. But we only have one version. Like the, right. the, We've said here he is you yeah. know, in a way that we didn't get with Aang. And I think that's a big difference. I think, like, and even there with Toph Beifong, you know, I think there's some people who'd be like, Toph would never be called a cop. Like, that's just not okay. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and to some extent, I, I agree with that. Like, I would have loved to see more of her story. Mm -hmm. But I feel like even there, we do meet her, but we also spend an awful lot of time listening to her two children argue about who she is. Yeah. And it's funny, I hadn't even thought of that until this, but the more I think of it, I think that's a... If you have, if you want to tell us more about their story, tell us that, or do like what I said with Harry Potter, of like, show us that they didn't, or maybe he just lives a glorious life as a um, professor. You know, right. he also becomes a cop in the story, which like, I mean, it's such a hard thing where I think we've always, to some extent, people have always known that, like, some folks have always known that policing is just a horrible, terrible institution with all sorts of problems baked into it. The question then becomes, and, but but certainly that awareness has become much more prevalent in in the world in the last five years or so. And then I think the question becomes, like, do you read that understanding of police onto fantasy and, mm. and sci-fi and things right. like that? I think that 
honestly, frankly, I think when Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the last season comes out, I'd love to get into that question. Um, sure. Though I think there's definitely some other voices I'd want to make sure we bring mm-hmm. into that conversation. But, but yeah, so I, I think there's just like, I guess I'm just sort of holding up again why Cora does work so well because, like, I think kind of what we're, we're here really coming to is we're okay with stories that continue, like, the overall story or tell us more of the context of the story in which our heroes took place. But we just don't want to see actually our heroes or the primary events of their lives be retold or gone into more detail of. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, yeah, I think there's a point at which just, like, someone's story is told. You know, you told it. And, like, there can be other stories that that character's in, but it's just, it's delicate. And the, like, how many series that are, like, 10 seasons or 12 seasons, by the end, people are really happy with, you know? Yeah. Like, it it just, it, characters, people change, characters change, but um, I think the other thing, though, is, like, in fiction, there's this addiction to conflict right and this addiction to like character growth and i think one thing in comics is like there's not that so much right like you can like or like the simpsons or something like that right where you can have a character who's essentially the same for decades and decades and decades and they'll change and there will be different interpretations i think this is where we get into the like number of versions maybe Mm -hmm. right but like you don't have like this one character that's going through time and they're every, it's like every movie they have to like reinvent themselves, right? Every movie yeah. they have to question what they're doing. Every movie, the world has to be at stake. And when the Avengers have to always split up and then come back together. Again. Right. They're all like the Avengers fighting against each other in the Avengers was kind of great. I thought, but like then they got together and they were a team and it would be nice to just see them like be a team for like one Avengers movie for a whole Avengers movie, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, that, that is, is I think one of the, one of the things that happens is like, you just are trying to manufacture conflict or things never get to be okay. And, uh, uh, you know, like you save the world from a particular threat, like another threat should maybe be something totally different. Um, you know, free CPLAD says in the chat, like for a sequel, I'd like to see a new vill- villain arise. I, I want to move on from Voldemort. Uh, but I don't know what it'll look like. And that's the thing. Like, we don't know what it would look like. We can, anybody can come up with, oh, here's an idea, you know, and there's a lot of interesting right. ideas. I, I tried to write a, um, a spec script for like Daredevil season two. And I was thinking like, okay, Fisk is in prison. What's going on? They went such a different way from like what I was yeah. thinking, you know, <laughs> and it was great in the first four episodes, at least of season two, where they're like, okay, deal with Punisher. Now it's like, oh, wow, that's. That's a different story, you know? Um, and I loved that. And I think it's like, you've just got to come up with something new. And if you're going to yeah. use the same characters, I feel like it has to challenge them in a different way and not kind of have the same thing over and over and over. Um, and and having just new characters in the same world, um, you know, with animation, it's like it's easier because then you can just have it be like, oh, yeah, there's a century later and we can go back and show these characters and those characters wherever we want. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the Simpsons never age because the act like you don't have to worry about the actor. Like exactly. Bart Simpson will always be 10 years old. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot there. And I think we're really kind of struggling in on like what makes these things work or not work and what kind of things we want to see. 
Uh, let me, as a quick aside, let me just say, I know we have some uh, listeners and our people watching along on Twitch. Please know, um, feel free to jump in with questions, with comments. Uh, CP Lad, it's been awesome the things we're hearing from you. Uh, other people who are here, if you agree with us, you disagree with us, tell us the stories you'd want to see or not see. We'd love to hear that. I think the thing, the other thing that you get at there, which is so important, is that a lot of times with shows or with movies, like one of the central ideas is, like as you said, like there's a tension between the two of them. Often it's a romantic tension. Other times it's a like, you know, a buddy cop thing. And mm -hmm. I think one of the problems is often like you have to be willing to let that story resolve, and then not try and tell a new version of that story. You know. Right. Like, I feel like as as much as I didn't like a lot of things about The Force Awakens and the, the sequels in general, one thing I thought Force Awakens did well is they didn't have to convince Han all over again to give up the life of being a scoundrel to do the right thing. Mm, yeah. Like, he had gone back to being a scoundrel, or at least a, a smuggler to some extent, but they, you quickly, like, they, you didn't have to tell that story all over again. Right. Um. To me, one of my favorite examples where I, I think like both directions of this is the TV show Chuck, where mm. one of the central premises, central premises, premises of Chuck is that you have this romantic tension between your male and female uh, stars. And in the first couple of seasons, I don't think they do this worse than most other television shows of its time, but they do it and it's pretty bad. They keep having them almost get together and then they come up with some more and more contrived reason as things go on why they actually can't be together. And finally, after about two-thirds of the way through, but not in the last season, they just let them get together. And then they're just together. And now they're having new kinds of problems, but they're together. Um, and like to me, one of the best examples of this actually is Shira, where they do delay the main romantic pairing for a while – but it, it, the reasons for it never feel contrived. And, okay, I, well, I'll just I'll just throw out my disagreement there. Um, okay, I, I will say as someone who has mental issues very similar to what one okay. of those main characters okay. has, it was incredibly believable to me. Okay, um, fair, fair. But that's that's a, to some extent it's you know contrived to be sure. Scale we're, we're grading on a curve. Here. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, so I think I mean. The next big question we're going to get into is, like, what are the problems with um, prequels and sequels? I feel like we've covered that pretty thoroughly. I think so, um, yeah. So my, my, my question is, let's now get into the different specific universes. And I, I want to start by framing it a little bit by talking about – because I feel like the MCU, Star Wars, and Harry Potter, and I would also throw in Star Trek, are some of the ones we most talk about. And I think if you look at them, what they've done well and what they haven't, I think the, 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 nature, the differences in those materials really matters. And I think mm -hmm. one of the biggest things is, is there a single canonical story? Because I think one of the reasons why the MCU has been able to be so fantastically successful is because, yes, like the story of Captain America has been told for 50 years. The story of Thor has been told for 40 years, whatever it is. Captain America in 70 years. The story of my badness with math has been told for 40 years. <laughs> but there isn't a single canonical version of any of those stories. Right. And so there's so much more room. And the fact that in that one, like, 
we don't have the definitive version of the uh, most people like for me chris evans is the first time i ever saw captain america on screen mm. in contrast like we all there's only one real version of the star wars stories there right. are the legacy books and i think there's a small contingent of fans who and god god bless this i don't think there's anything wrong with it but like they really held on to those stories mm-hmm. but even there like we don't have like five different versions of luke running around right. there's, there's some take a kind of different <laughs> trace on him and now the established canon breaks that canon, but there's still there's only like one real established canon. And I think that that also makes it harder because it also now means that there's so much more like, you know, having Captain America do something that doesn't quite fit is a lot easier than having Luke do something you don't feel quite fits. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, I mean, there are literally multiple versions of Luke running around in the legacy canon, right? Right. Luke. I think actually that's true. There's, there's clones and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, but you know, to your point, yeah, there's, you know, basically everything of Star Wars that has been on the screen is all one thing and it's all one continuity. And right. um, outside of the Lego holiday special, there's no time travel. You know, there's no multiverse. It's like there's the galaxy. And um, so... You know, we can headcanon some things as not having continuity with some other things, and some things maybe don't actually have logical continuity or make sense in terms of time frame, but it's like, Luke is Luke, you know? Um, right. Like, one reason that I, I found The Last Jedi more upsetting than, like, Batman versus Superman, I really don't like Batman in Batman versus Superman, or in the Justice League movie, and I don't really mm-hmm. like either movie either, but... I've gotten multiple on-screen Batmans that I loved. You know, I loved the Michael Keaton Batman. And then we had Val Kilmer and then George Clooney. And I was like, okay, that sucked. (laughs) And then we got Christian Bale Batman. I'm like, oh, you know, not to mention that there's all these animated Batmans, like tons of them, that are all these different versions. There's the Kevin Conroy one. There's, There's a bunch of others, right? And there's Batman Beyond. And so... You know, I've gotten enough, like, Batmans that I like that they're existing some Batmans that I don't like doesn't really affect my feelings about the ones I like. Whereas, you know, with Star Wars, it's like, if they do something with a character that you like, like, there's only one way that story goes. Like, with Dexter, it's not like there's some alternate Dexter that I can watch and be like, oh, well, I like this one, you know? It's like, it's all one timeline. Um, Yeah. And I think Batman is a great example of this because to me, Batman can both show the good and the bad side of doing prequels because, or in this case of retelling the same origin story, mm-hmm. because I do think it's interesting to see how Batman's story told in different generations changes. And if you had, if you told yeah. me that in 20 years, another, um, you know, having it go from like the opera to the movie house, you know, or things right. like that sure. about his, um, uh, you know, about his story. That being said, I think the next director who shows Martha Wayne's pearls uh, flying off after yeah. she gets shot or after, you know, yeah, Joe yeah, Chill, yeah. Yeah. you know, revoke that person's right to make movies. Like, as we have she seen gets the pearls. by Joe Chill. Yeah. <laughs> Thank oh, you. God. I'll be here all week. <laughs> <laughs> Tip your waitress, try the veal. I, don't try the veal. Don't try the veal. Jeez. <laughs> veal is terrible. Even I won't eat veal. Uh, I mean, yeah. uh, <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> um, another example that I want to use because I think it's, it's a, 
and, and here I guess we can kind of start to dive into specific universes. I'll start with this one because I know it's not one that you know as well. Mm-hmm. To me, Star Trek is right. the perfect example of why post schools work much better than prequels. Okay. Um, and to some extent, you did have Gene Roddenberry tying the first two together. He wrote the original series, and then he wrote and was really connected to the next generation. So mm-hmm. he was really part of the kind of the passing along. By the time you get to DS9 and Voyager, he's passed away. And you can see a very sudden shift of mm-hmm. he wanted a world in which science had made everything perfect, you know, luxury gay space communism of Star Trek, which is you know, great and wonderful. But he really believed like, like technology would erase racism and sexism and classism mm-hmm. and uh, human conflict and, and tensions and ambition and things like that. And they kind of started to be like, okay, Gene's not around anymore. Let's tell the story about how those things are still here. And they did it in a a way that feels still connected and all feels the same. And they're able to then go forward and forward and forward. And now you have some shows that are being done as as post-quels, sequels, like, you know, the the recent Picard show, which Mm -hmm. I didn't like some parts of the Picard show. I think a lot of people found the ending frustrating, but it still all felt very in line with and like, you know, honoring the canon that it came from. On the flip side, when they have tried to do prequels, you know, they did a show called Enterprise about a generation before um, Kirk and all them. And there's some fun episodes, and I'm told some people really like it, but it's kind of the thing about, like, the you know, the, the Force being a forgotten ancient religion. Right. Klingons are all over the place in mm. that, you know, and like that even isn't the best example, but there's so many things that happen on Enterprise where you're like, wait a minute, I thought Kirk was the first one to do that. Right. And they find some like technicality to justify it, mm-hmm. but it, it just feels like it takes away from the spirit of it so much. Right. And similarly, um, the most recent, one of the most recent shows, Star Trek Discovery, it becomes a very good show if you think of it as just a Star Trek style of show but when the whole time you're telling the story of a character who's supposed to be Spock's brother and you're remembering all the different times that like Spock and Kurt or or Spock's sister sorry Spock was her brother that like Spock talked about like his interactions with humans and Kirk being like the human he's come to know yeah and he's just not mentioning that actually he lived 15 years of his life with a human sister growing up together on Vulcan like it just it doesn't make any sense, right? Right. Um, and they again they stretch things that could technically make sense in the kind of Obi Wan Kenobi, like from a certain point of view. Yeah, yeah. But, well, <laughs> which to me, I mean, that that line does not justify breaking the establishment of canon. Like that's just not okay. And I just think Star Trek is is to me the perfect example of like the the post school the sequels are great, prequels just stop, don't just don't, especially because now we're going like. The enterprise of like the J.J. Abrams movies or of the um, new shows, it just is all this crazy technology that they don't have, that they didn't have in the 1960s when they made the show. Right, so it right. just looks ridiculous. Yeah. It, and I mean, it's all supposed to be one continuity, right? It's always been right. like there's multiple timelines because like time travel and whatever. But yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I get you. I, I don't have that connection to Star Trek really. Um, you know, I mean, I enjoyed the first of the new movies and then each one maybe a little less than the previous one, even though they uh-huh. all had actors that I absolutely loved in them. Um, yeah. but, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I hear you like it, 
it's it really is hard to do a prequel when you have better technology than you had before and so you're trying to like the other thing though so here's one more thing that i'd like to get on is what i call sequelitis i mean there's prequelitis also but like sequelitis which is just like feeling the need to always raise the stakes always get flashier right always have more villains more you know more things going on more 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 and that that can get even like worse with prequels because it might make even less sense right like um you know and they do that with like force powers it's like oh well now it's really easy to use force powers this way on screen so we'll just do it more you know um we can have the the ships look cooler, so we're gonna make them look cooler. But then then that's gonna look like the technology is more advanced, but it's actually earlier. And it's like, huh? Um, so it's it's you know you get these like anachronisms that are because you have you know you're going for more or you have more technology available to you than you did before, and and so things just kind of like don't quite line up. Mm-hmm. And I, I I find that 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 can like take. You know, it, it kind of, it, it takes you out of the moment, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's really true. And it, it's, like, on our review of Rise of Skywalker, which will hopefully come out sometime soon, depending on hopefully. how much my computer can be saved, I feel like if I just think of it as, like, just a random space adventure movie, it's perfectly mm-hmm. fine. Right. I kind of feel the same way about the, J, the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie. Mm, it is yeah. like Gene Roddenberry would roll in his grave. It is a space action movie yeah. in a way that was everything Roddenberry didn't want. But it's still a fun movie, you mm-hmm. know? The second one where like ben, like if Benedict Cumberbatch was gonna play Khan, just tell us that everybody's gonna play Khan. And right. anyway, that that that's now a whole other story entirely. Uh, but let's go into some of the other specific ones. So let's talk about Star Wars. Uh and the specific question that, that got asked here was um would you like to see movies that take place between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope? Is there a possibility for a Luke Skywalker trilogy in the future? So kind of two questions there. I think you're going to have pretty strong feelings about at least one of them, but let's let's start with that first one. Uh, <laughs> would we want to see more stuff set in that 20-year period of um, b- between Rise of Skywalker and A New Hope? Uh, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. I mean, maybe. I really enjoyed Rebels, but, like, I don't know... Like, what would that look like? You know, would that... Like, I could see something that's, like, just doesn't feel like a Star Wars movie that's basically just, like, 1984. And it's just, like, some small story on some planet and the Empire is this thing um, and it's really oppressive. Um, I I think I would rather see more right after Return of the Jedi, although that's where then I'm... You know, that's maybe partially because the Mandalorian has sold me on that but like i'm also apprehensive because like um if we get to like you know a luke skywalker trilogy would that be would that be after revenge of this that would that would be after return of the jedi and then like i'm really interested to see that story and um i've already you know uh cast in my head uh sebastian stan as as luke skywalker Sebastian Stan as Luke Skywalker. That's a very original idea, Paul. I've never heard that before. It is. And in fact, <laughs> I said um, that Stan Sebastian could play Luke Skywalker before <laughs> you had your repeated um, Stan Sebastian um, verbal slips. So I'd like to take credit for that one. 
Um, there you go. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, you could get any number of actors. I, I think having Mark Hamill in, you know, that brief moment was great, but I don't think you want to do that for like a whole series. Um, if it's a series that's going to lead up to The Force Awakens or whatever, like, I don't think I'm going to like it. Just because, yeah. like, I see where Luke ends up, and I'm like, I can't think of a story that I want to see that goes from, you know, episode six to episode seven. So I would much rather see stories that were less connected to, like, the central, um, I you know, I want a different ending, you know, or a different p- sequel trilogy. Yeah. Like, I love uh, Ray and Finn, and although Finn doesn't really get to be actualized i would rather i would like to see like a finn series after you know rise of skywalker that's like some more low-key like yeah trying to learn to be a jedi post jedi you know post palpatine i think that's a really interesting story that's what a luke skywalker series would be like to me after return of the jedi but like what would it actually be i don't know i don't know but if yeah, it has Grogu in it, I'm I'm sign me up. <laughs> Probably there. Yeah, no, I get that. I'm like, yeah, I love a Finn series. Let him like make out with a white woman. Let him make out with a guy, and let him become a Jedi. Like, give him all the things <laughs> yeah, you yeah, promised. Yeah. The trifecta. <laughs> and and but also give really give us a story of like the forgotten storm, the, the stormtrooper who defects. You know. Yeah. And I think uh, that's where. I mean, on one, we we already are getting a lot of stories in this time period between. Um, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. Bad Batch is set in that time period. Mm-hmm. Um, the video game Fallen Order, which I, I have a lot of mixed feelings about a video game being canon, is set in that time period. Um, the show Kenobi is going to be set in that time period. I'm going to talk about that show in a mm. second. Yeah. And I think the show Ahsoka is going to be set in the post-Postables period. Or no, I'm sorry, the post-Revenge of, post-Return of the Jedi period. Yeah, yeah. in the Mando um, period-ish, right? Exactly. But I, th- yeah. I imagine we'll get some flashbacks because she also was, you know, doing a lot between, um, if we call this like the pre-New Hope era and the post-New Hope era, the post... Uh, the, the old hope and the, the newer hope. <laughs> pre, Pre-Battle of Yavin and like post-Battle of Endor. Right, um, right, right. Good way to talk about it. Sure. And to me, the Kenobi story, I think, is a great example of both the good and the bad. Because... One of the reasons I am so excited about the Kenobi story is that there is a Kenobi book, which is set in this period. And the book is, to me, one of the most perfect prequel postcals I could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, like, this period is hard because it's literally both. It's, it's setting something after one set of stories we've, told, we've been told and before another. Yeah, yeah. And in the Kenobi book, he goes to Tatooine, and he has a series of small little adventures that are, in the great scheme of the universe, completely meaningless. There's right. no real stakes. Nothing is very high. Luke is never in any danger. It's never about that. Um, but, but a couple of things happen. One, we get to explore the world of Tatooine a lot more, and especially really get to learn more about the Tuscans, the, the people referred to as the Sand People. And they do this great story about Basically, the Tuscans as the indigenous people and the, the, the humans as the, as, as the colonialists. And it's a great story of like colonization and uh, indigenous rights and all sorts of stuff like that. So yeah. that, that's one part of it. But the other thing, and, and like, there's some fun adventures and, and Kenobi gets to be Kenobi in all the ways we love the character. 
but a huge part of the book is Obi-Wan's internal monologue and a lot of it like talking to Force Ghost of um, Qui-Gon about how guilty he feels. Not just like, oh my god, poor me, let me like, you know, sit on ashes and like rend my sackcloth, though there's a lot of that, but also him really trying to go over where did he go wrong? How did he let go? How did he let Anakin get to the park he gets to, the place he gets to? And this is only like alluded to, but there's even himself about like, was, you know, how was it connected to what happened with, with the Duchess who Obi-Wan had fallen in love with? Was it to some extent him sort of allowing Anakin to do what he didn't let himself do? And, and there's just, there's, and, and Obi-Wan being angry at the Jedi and being angry at himself, and being angry at Anakin. And just to me, that's an amazing story of we've seen the movie and we know one character gets terribly betrayed. Now let's really sit with that character for a while. Yeah. I'm super excited for that. Do you know what I'm not excited for in any way, shape, or form? I do. Take a guess. It is not Hayden Christensen, though that's a part of it, too. It's it's an interaction between Darth Vader and, and Obi-Wan, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, they're supposed to have the rematch of the century. Mm-hmm. They had the rematch of the century. It was on the Death Star. I saw it happen with my right. own eyes in A New Hope. And, again, the way that's portrayed... I've certainly always felt, and I think a lot of fans feel the same way, that is the two of them meeting again for the first time since whatever happened that made Anakin into Vader. Um, and, you know, the circle is now complete. Once you were the ma- now I am the master. I used to be the apprentice. I, you know, all of that stuff. And, you know, someone else on our podcast network likes to say, well, but in Star Wars, everything's from a certain point of view. So... He didn't actually say how long ago it was, so maybe he's talking about the last time. I think that's nonsense. I don't think that makes any sense. I feel like maybe I'm, I'm going to go watch it, of course, and maybe I'll be surprised. But to me, telling me that you need to do that is exactly the sequel prequel-itis you're talking about. It's saying mm-hmm. we can't just have Kenobi's story be this small little character study and planet study of this character what he was doing in those 20 years. He has to go fight Anakin again. He has to have the big grand adventure. And it doesn't make the story make any sense. Yeah, so I, I, I do actually disagree in terms of the Vader-Kenobi showdown. I, I think it's okay. vague. I don't think it's clear that, like, they haven't seen each other since... Um, in fact, I almost think they probably have seen each other. Because he, like, recognizes him in the outfit and he calls him Darth. And I -hmm. feel like they're... But I don't... It it has to be a long time, you know? Yeah. It can't have been, like... They they can't have the series run right up until close to A New Hope and then they have a a showdown. That would be a disaster. Um, But I, I think that sort of... Us seeing it differently speaks to that issue of of prequels where you've thought of it a particular way and you certainly haven't been told by the movies that it wasn't the way you thought of it. Right. Right. I never really thought of it exactly that way. When you said it that way, um, you know, a while ago I was like, well, but I don't feel like they were that specific in the movie. And so I never had that idea of it being that specific, but I totally respect that. That's, you know, you've had 
40 years, basically, yeah. almost, <laughs> to, like, think of it that way. I mean, it's been 40 years since the movie came out, right? 44 since the first movie came out. And yeah. so, like, yeah, I, I'd be very concerned if there's too much of that. I feel like they could face off once or twice, and it would have to be, like, at least a decade before, like, you know, Luke would have to be, like, five or ten or something. Yeah. But if it's much later than that, I totally agree. Like, it's got to be at least a decade. But also, there should be more than 20 years between um, the Re- you know, Revenge of the Sith and uh, A New Hope. Padme should have been frozen in uh, carbonite, and <laughs> then she should have been um, unfrozen and then given birth and then died from carbonite poisoning uh, or right. hibernation sickness. It, it would have made more sense than dying because she... she because plot. perhaps do you mean because Leia remembers her actual mother? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That too. Although we don't <laughs> necessarily know that that was her birth mom. It's possible. Again, that's our interpretation, but we could be wrong. Right. You know, um, it's that definitely is my interpretation that she knew her birth mom. Um, but I don't know. Uh, I am encouraged that uh, Deborah Chow is the is the director showrunner. Um, she <laughs> did the Mandalorian episodes three and seven in season one. Both of which right. I really enjoyed. So, uh, but yeah, when they announced the Kenobi show, I was like, okay, you know, yeah. <laughs> like we'll see. I, I think you're right that I think my version doesn't necessarily have to be the only version. And, and, and even there, like maybe maybe they can make that fight happen in a way that would make sense. You know, uh, certainly I hope it's going to be before Tatooine has had its magical like you've been here five years, you've aged forty years of that. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, you and McGregor, you and McGregor, Martin, you and McGregor uh, to Alec Guinness in twenty years is kind of a jump. Um, I think they were like thirty-seven years different or something when, from the filming times of the movies that they were seen in. Or whatever. Yeah. Um. So all all that's definitely true, but but I think either way, even if it's like something that could be fit into the canon in a way that you're seeing it, I just don't think the idea that she feels that that. The writers, she, I mean Kathleen Kennedy, but all the people mm. at Star Wars mm-hmm. feel like we need it. Right. And Dave Filoni is now in charge, and in Dave Filoni we trust, in the same way in Kevin Feige we trust, which I mean very differently than a lot of people. I just mean like I'm going to give them the benefit of the Yeah, 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 yeah. I like, don't mean that like if they put something bad on screen, I'm not going to say, oh, no, but it must make sense because in Kevin Feige we trust. No, Kevin right, Feige right, right. can make mistakes. Dave yeah. Filoni can make mistakes. Um, You'll assume least, it's good until it's bad. <laughs> Right, but I'm going to go on with trepidations, and I just... But either way, I feel like the fact that they felt like that was needed, mm-hmm. to me, really speaks to... I, I feel like there was a sense of there has to be some very high stakes. Right. And I think is a real problem. Yeah. Because, like, in Rogue One, on the one hand, there are very high stakes, and that they have to get the plans, or else the Death Star will, you know, death all over the place. But we know that they do. Like, there's absolutely no question at the start of the There's literally no question about what will happen. There. Right. And to some extent, that's true with an Anakin-Obi-Wan fight. Um, but, yeah. It's just, it, it just, to me, it's a perfect example of, like, all the things that can and will go wrong. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I share your trepidation, if not on that one specific matter, but, like, broadly speaking, for sure. And I think that also gets into one other kind of larger point about what, what's hard about doing postquels and prequels in the Star Wars universe is... Like, if I tell you a prequel to a movie that was set in 2010 takes place in 1990, everyone knows what the world in 1990 was like. Right. We might have different memories of it, you know, but, like, we still have a a generalized idea of what it was like. You know, 
I can imagine what Earth will be like in 2050 or in like even 2100 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Because like I have a general sense of how these things are. I feel like because the the further that your universe is from anything recognizable, Mm -hmm. the more that like our imagination has to fill in like, what were the Clone Wars? What does it mean that the Jedi used to be these ancient guardians? And so every time you jump for, you know, back and forward, you're just creating all of these other crazy things. And in the same way, I feel like Harry Potter, Harry Potter to me is one way where I think like, again, as to get kind of the last question there, actually, let me circle back to the Luke, Luke trilogy, but I think mm-hmm. you kind of answered that. Harry Potter, I do think it would be a lot easier to tell a story as a post-school or even as a prequel. Um, I haven't liked some elements of the um, Grindelwald and, and all that kind of story because I think, right. again, that they've kind of fallen into the same kind of prequelitis thing. There has to be huge stakes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it's also just the general problems with J.K. Rowling. And again, I, I would again say, you know, I'm not, I don't ever want to give a dime to anything she's involved with until she's gone. But I feel like I could much better conceptualize what the Harry Potter universe would be like 10 years, 10 years from now in a way that most people are going to conceptualize probably something similar in a way that being able to conceptualize the Star Wars universe like a hundred years in either direction just is much harder. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah. And and more so even like, I would almost say like, there's more, you're putting more of your imagination into what the Star Wars universe was like way before or way later. Yep. And as such, I think there's more emotional investment. Whereas, like, if you say something was in the 90s or 80s or whatever, or 50s, like, I don't, if you then show me the 50s, I'm not like, oh, that's not what I thought the 50s were like. Like, I'm like, okay, I guess that's the 50s. You know, you're showing me some historical period on Earth. Whereas, or like, you show the future and like, you know, I'm like, okay, I guess that could be the future. Um, And sometimes you'll show me something. Sometimes you'll show me, oh, yeah, that's also true. Like, (laughs) go, go watch the movie 2010. About yeah, like yeah, the yeah. manned space mission to Jupiter that was supposed right. to take place eleven years ago. Yeah, how's that going? How's that going? <laughs> um, but I, I also think like yeah, even if a movie shows me an image of the nineteen fifties that's totally different than my understanding, mm-hmm. I can be like, oh, let me go to Wikipedia or some actual real you know, some whatever source you choose. Sure. And be like, oh, I was wrong. The fifties were kind of like that. Or oh, or oh, like yeah, I knew my version of the 50s, but here's what was happening in this other part of the world, in like right. a non-maybe white community or, or not sure. America, you know, etc. So, so yeah, so I, I think there's, I, I, I would love to, I think we've kind of addressed what stories you want to see in Star Wars. I think we're both kind of agreement, me a lot more than you because I'm much more a Harry Potter person. Um, that would be fun to see some stories there. Although there again, I think the other thing that would be really important to me is the Slytherin cannot be the villain. Uh-huh. <laughs> to me, it's it's one of the biggest like, and there's all sorts of great theories on this and TikToks and writings about how like, J.K. may have originally wanted to, like, have the Slytherins be not just the evil house, but that eventually she was like, ah, well, let's just make them evil. It's easier. Right. Um, I don't know, but like, the world only really makes sense if you kind of headcanon a fairly different understanding of Slytherins than what she herself wrote, mm-hmm. and. I just, if we're going to have that story, I want it to be a Gryffindor villain. I want it to be like, you know, oh. the evil Ravenclaw who's just, okay. you, know, you know, like whatever. a fascist Gryffindor or something. Yeah, I mean, a fascist Gryffindor, but I mean, like, to me, Gryffindor, Gryffindors like terrify fascist. me. 
Yeah. 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 They, yeah, they certainly can be fascist. They can or be like jobs. monarchist or whatever, whatever. Yeah. Or just the idea of like, I am so positive of what is good for you mm-hmm. that I'm going to make what's good for you happen to the whole world. Um, right. And that's, I think, the problem. Um, I, I see we've gotten a lot of feedback, all from uh, our uh, CP lab. Let's kind of read some of it out. You've been, you've been responding to it here. Yeah. Um, but I want to kind of say, um, uh, CP lab says, I'd like to see a movie about the rule of two. Have you both heard of the storyline from George Lucas? It takes place a long time before Phantom Menace. Um, and it's the Darth Bane story. Yes, I've read the Darth Bane books. Um, you have not, correct, Paul? Correct. I'm, I'm familiar with Darth Bane yeah. as a character, but I haven't read the books. And to be clear, my understanding is that um, they were written as part of the legacy books uh, when, when they thought they were canon, but they're not considered official canon anymore. Although they've been referenced, and like Darth Bane was officially one of the voices. Uh, I think Darth Bane actually... No, Darth Bane Darth Bane's in the Clone Wars. Of, of Rebels. Or no, maybe it's Clone Wars. Clone Wars, yeah. Voiced by Mark Hamill. Yes, which is awesome. So the characters appeared. Yeah, I think think going back and telling that story could be really fascinating. There is a great series of books about it. um, And I'd like there to be someone who has met a woman once uh, involved in the writing of that movie. Because they weren't involved in the writing of the book. um, (laughs) Because the women characters are so badly written as are the romances. But yeah, I think that could be a great story to tell. Um... You know, I, I think that's um, – and here's actually I – should, I should have said this before. My current favorite iteration of prequel-ness in the Star Wars universe are the High Republic books that are being written mm. because these books all take place about 250 years before the Battle of Yavin. Yavin? I keep saying Yavin. Yavin. Yavin, thank you. There's an angry review we'll get. That's fine. Um, I call people by the wrong name all the time. It happens in my real life too. Stan Sebastian. Um, J.K. Rowling, but it's okay. J.K. Rowling, isn't that, isn't that her name? It's it's Rowling, like like oh, a Roll, stone, yeah. like a Rolling Stone, but yeah. Not Rowling, okay. Yeah. I usually like to wait like an hour and a half into the episode before I like correct <laughs> something. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I don't mind disrespecting her, but I should try to Fair. get some general right. Fair enough, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but No one's confused who you're talking I'll about. I'll just call her the transphobe. Um, but the, um, in those books... It is set – so no characters we know appear at all. Yoda does exist, but Yoda is like off on some like mission, research mission, so he's not even in the stories. He might come back at a later point. And it's basically kind of telling a story – you're getting to see what the Jedi – you're getting to see what I thought the prequels were going to be of what the Jedi were like you know, at their height before any of the fall started. Mm. And the books are great because they do show you like some of the seeds. I mean like – Newsflash, Jedi have always been horny. Jedi right. have always wanted real connections, and the denial has always been a problem. But like to some extent, part of what that story is about is about a much more permissive era in mm. which people were like, you know, like Padawan teenagers are gonna explore, let them do that, and then right. like later will and and then a theory that I think a lot of people have is that maybe the High Republic books kind of get to a place where so many catastrophes have happened because of that permissiveness that mm. they try to be much more like strict and authoritarian about the rules, which right. is where you get the super strictness of the recent movies. And to me, that's a great kind of a prequel because it's, it's, it is telling the story of how the world got to be the world in which the first story was set yeah. without involving any of the same characters. And one thing they're being very good about is there's no Sith anywhere in the books. And 
in theory, we're going to see The Apprentice, the TV show that will be set in this era, is going to involve a Sith apprentice. And it's going to be about like the Sith who trained the Sith who trained Palpatine, or maybe one more right. Palpatine. Um, Sidious. It's, it's, um, not, wait, it's not going to be called The Apprentice, though, is it? I thought, oh, The Acolyte, I'm sorry. Okay, good. <laughs> I was like, I feel like that was already a show, and I did not yes. like it. <laughs> I, I tried to block that out of my mind. Um, but, but in there, like, they really, you know, one thing that's been established is the Jedi thought that the Sith have been gone for a thousand years. So if we find that, like, 30 different Jedi all knew, but we have to just believe that none of them ever wrote it down, like, that, that's right. the kind of thing where it's going to be like... yeah. You're walking up to a line. You gotta respect the line. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I just gave a rant. You, you respond, and then we'll go into the um, uh, Skywalker trilogy, and then close up. Um, no, I, I, I hear that. I mean, I, I do think like you, you, you get these these things where it's like you have an idea of how things got to where they were, and then you go back, and if it's if you show things too recent to be. Um, to like kind of violate your sense, even if it's not like technically it's not like, Oh, this can't coexist with this. If it's just like, eh, it just doesn't feel right. You know? Whereas, mm-hmm. yeah, I would love, I would love a Darth Bane story. Like give me that thing a thousand years ago or however long ago it was. Right. Like show me that that story can't possibly contradict stories we have now because all the stories we have now only have stories about what happened that far ago. Right. right. Like, I don't know, was Yoda even born yet? Yoda only lived in 900. So if it was actually a thousand years ago, then yeah, like, longer than that. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I feel like that's the sort of thing that works for me. Um, in the chat, we have um, free CP lads saying, uh, for me, the founders of Hogwarts, Salazar Slytherin and Godric Gryffindor had so much tension that you can see it being passed down in Hogwarts, but I'd like to see a founders of Hogwarts storyline as well. I don't know. Um, how far back in the past that was, but I imagine it was far back enough in the past that you can tell that story because that's like a legend in the present, right? I mean, maybe sure there's some history that people are teaching other people, but like we shouldn't have so much of such high expectations or specific expectations about what stuff looks like then. Um, So I, I really do think that like you just have so much more freedom to tell a story and any of those given characters, like we don't know exactly how their stories are going to play out. So it's like telling, it's not even like a prequel in some ways, right? It's a story. I think there's a difference between a prequel that's clearly setting up a future story and a sequel. That's clearly something that happens before, after some previous event with either the same characters or directly in relation to those events. And then another story that takes place in the same universe at a different point in the timeline. And I'm much, much, much more interested in different stories that take place elsewhere on the timeline. That's like one reason I liked the show agent Carter a lot, you know, and yeah, yeah, it took place after the first Avenger. Right. But it was very much its own time period, its own characters. And you knew that like eventually she was going to go on to found shield. Right. And we never got that story, unfortunately, because it got canceled. Super disappointing. Super disappointing. Um, And maybe they can still do that because like, it's been a while and it's like, yeah, it doesn't really matter that the actress is older. Right. I mean, maybe, maybe that story didn't happen in the forties or the fifties. Maybe it happened in the sixties, you know? Um, And I don't know, but 
it was enough separate from some of the things that happened later that it's like you, there's not contact between the stories. And I think that's the thing. The points of contact between the stories and the way one story should have an effect on another story. I think the less that's true, the more it just feels like another story. Like you can have a thousand stories written on Earth or millions of stories written on Earth in our world. And like they can coexist, but it's like one yeah. doesn't make you go, oh, uh, this other story doesn't make any sense now. It's like, no, they're just, they're unrelated. And yeah. in the same universe, you can have a bunch of unrelated stories. And I, I'm much more interested in that personally. Especially when you get rid of words like first, only, unique. you know, that's the thing. Of like, if you tell me the story of the first time a human being meets a superhero yeah. and the media all goes crazy because Superman has arrived on Earth. Right. And then you tell me that Wonder Woman was so well known that she fought in a battalion in World War One, and all these soldiers saw her do it, just as a random example. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, just making something up. Yeah, I mean, like, that. I love the Wonder Woman movie, but that's a way in which, like, the whole thing about the world going crazy over Superman doesn't make any sense. Exactly. Um, and I think that that and the, the Harry Potter example... Um, it's funny. I was hoping this episode would be about an hour and ten minutes. We've gone way longer than that. You and I. It's funny. You and I are getting a lot better about making our episodes shorter for the most part. But especially, I feel like when there's a third person, I'm yeah, very yeah. good about keeping us all together. But when it's just you and me, especially because right now I'm like, I don't want this to end because then I have to deal with my broken computer. Right. right. <laughs> we have a third person in the chat though, so it's like two, yeah. two. In, I two mean, and a half. it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, we're all um, in different levels. There's one chat, there's one disembodied voice, and then there's me in 1080p. Yeah. <laughs> Holding it all together. Holding it all together. But the point I'm, I was going to make is, and I think what, what um, CP Lad is bringing up, when he's asking us to tell the story of the, the original founding of Hogwarts, which we think, uh, he points out, and I think is correct, it was in the 10th century, as, as it's understood. But is that, kind of what I was saying before about um, with Avatar, tell us the story about unreliable narrators. Once you stay, hey, what you are told happened in the present is the story that the winners told. But now we're going to tell you the real story. Mm. Canon can go out the window right. because now you've explained to me that what I learned about Canon was from unreliable narrators. Mm -hmm. And so now it's much easier to tell me, actually, you know what? Like Salazar Slytherin was like this great guy and Roger <laughs> Gryffindor was just an absolute jerk who thought he was supposed to rule. And when he took over, he got to write the story. And he kind of like boxed the Slytherins in and they start, you know, became a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's what I just told you would be a pretty lazy, like hopefully a much more nuanced story. But that's an example of how you can say, oh, the thing that we have like later, what we're going to tell you isn't breaking canon. It's helping you understand that the canon you learned is actually much more complex. Right. In some ways, I feel like that's part of what the um, the prequels of Star Wars did, and Clone Wars even better, is to say, actually, Obi-Wan talked about the glorious, wonderful Jedi, the Knights of the Republic. Actually, they were pretty screwed up, and, and Obi-Wan's kind of an unreliable narrator, and that can help with some things. Um, uh, so yeah, so I, I just think there's, there's just so many things we can do here. I think we're just kind of all establishing that like sequels can be great, post-sequels can be great. But you just have to be very aware of, like, what has the audience come to believe about these characters and about this world? And if you're challenging that, you have to have a very good reason to. And if the reason is just to tell, like, a fun story, like, it's just not going to work. 
Right. Yeah, so, and I mean, I I think actually when when you put it that way in terms of like a new thing kind of casting a different light on something that you had a vision of in a later uh, in something that you saw before, I I think I I think the 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 concept of headcanon becomes very powerful there where yeah. you know, it's like you can say like, well this I think within any set of canon there's like subcanons you know, where it's like, well, these things very clearly go together and these things very clearly go together. And I saw some description of the prequel trilogy, like one trilogy being the propaganda by like the original trilogy was like the rebels propaganda. And then uh-huh. like the um, the C- the prequel trilogy was like someone else's propaganda. I don't I guess I don't think it was the empires, but like that, like different things were like basically f- sort of a version of the story told by a particular group. Um, and and I, I, I find that idea interesting too, that like you don't have to accept everything going together as being some sort of, you know, canonical. Like just because you tell me the DCEU is a thing doesn't mean that when I watch Wonder Woman, I have to consider it's a thing, yeah. right? Like, like I can just be like, I, I like this movie. And I'm going to enjoy it on its own merits. And I don't really care whether some people are saying it connects to some other stuff. Yeah. And I think um, this all gives me what could have could kind of been a fun way to do the prequels. Mm-hmm. What if the prequels were, we started out with Luke, you know, 10 years past Return of the Jedi. And sequels, sequels new, right? Sequels? No, no, prequels. Follow me. Oh, oh okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And there's problems that are coming up again. You know, yeah. when he's trying to rebuild the Republic, he's trying to rebuild the Jedi. And he's like, okay, in order to really do this, I need to actually go back into the history of the Jedi. Oh. And so he goes and finds, like, the holocrons. I'm like, yeah. And, and basically, like, so the story is two different things happening. One of which is. Him getting to be like, we're, you know, he's reading the, the histories, and so mm-hmm. we're seeing the the, the, the the flashbacks. Maybe it's like holocrons or something, so it's not just the, the Empire's version of it. Right. And then he's yelling at the Force ghost of Obi-Wan, being like, this isn't what you told me. <laughs> um, like, that could have been a great way to address, like, yes, all the canon we learned was from Obi-Wan. Yeah. And look at just how much of an unreliable narrator he was. Right. And then we get the story of Obi-Wan being responsible in some ways for Anakin's fall and him mm-hmm. not wanting to admit that to the son of the man who he failed, you know? Right. Um, I, I, yeah. I mean, that could be a great way to do it. And, yeah, and just to kind of... Go ahead. Uh, let's decanonize the prequel trilogy, make that series, print it, let's go. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and then we're um, going to do something with Rogue and Gambit and... Uh, okay, we're good. And I, I would just say, though, in terms of, like, I think the idea... I had the thought when... I've always thought it's very interesting that Luke doing what he does in Last Jedi is so anathema to you. Because for mm-hmm. me, it, it feels completely natural for his character. I 100% believe it. And after we got um, uh, Luke appearing in The Mandalorian, like I, I wondered, and I think I specifically asked you, like yeah. if we got a Luke trilogy that would tell the story of why he did what he did with Ben and how he got to that place, would that have helped you better accept it? You were pretty clear about it. It's like, no, like that's just not what I think Luke would do. And I think, I don't think either you or I is right or right. Um, and of course I think I'm right, but you know what I mean? Of like, course I think you think you're right. Works. I think I'm right. But yeah. we both recognize that there's a subjective nature to our interpretation of the right. character. 
and I think that alone is a reason why we shouldn't have a Luke trilogy. Um, mm. Because I just think, like, the it's one thing when, like, the general culture has a certain understanding and, like, you break it. Um, and, and I will say here, one of the things that often really comes up here is, like, I have really had my opinion on the prequels shifted because I've gotten here from all the people who grew up watching the prequels. And so they didn't right. have all the canon that we had, and they could just enjoy it on their own. And I think... Mm-hmm. I still don't understand how you accept some of the acting and like the forced backswing, but like put all that aside, I get why those people don't care. And some people would just enjoy a Luke movie and that's fine. But given that it's not even like the general idea is one thing and it might be something else, it's the fandom is so divided. Hmm. Um, I don't think there's any way you could tell a story that wouldn't just like, to me, I feel like even just like going to that movie, if I loved it and you hated it, that would kind of suck. If you loved it and I hated it, it wouldn't be like it wouldn't be pleasant to have the fandom so divided and then to all the toxicity in the fandom. It's just like and for what? Like to tell us a story that we do already know the beginning, the middle, the end of. Um, we don't though. Like we don't know the middle. Like I'm not arguing that we necessarily should tell that story, and I'm not mm-hmm. arguing that um <laughs> obviously I, I do think like almost no matter what story you told, it would be divisive. Um, but I, I am pushing back hard on the idea that we already know the beginning, middle, and end. I mean, we know the beginning, and we know the end, and the middle we really don't know. I mean, and I think that's our debate, because I, I think I know everything I need to know. I, to me, how he goes from ending, you know, defeating Vader to failing Ben to Last Jedi makes complete logical sense. Like, I think there's a very clear story arc that makes total sense to me. And, and you and I disagree about that. It, well, no, 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 no. It just wasn't even told, though. I mean, it's told in, like, a scene or something. Like, I, I guess to me, like, right? I, I more mean, like, the beginning of his story is sort of, like, where he, like, the, the middle to me of his story is the movies, you know, the original trilogy movies. Oh, oh. That, to me, that's the beginning of his story. I don't give, I don't care about Moisture Farmer Luke. Like, that... <laughs> <laughs> the beginning is when he decides to, you know, yeah. do the, the thing. But, but that's my point. Even the fact okay. that we're having this debate. Like, I feel like it's sure. just, just... Yeah, so to me, like, I... If we could have infinite movies mm-hmm. and every single story could be told, yeah, if that's one, great. Maybe people love it, maybe people don't. Sure. But given that we're only going to have so many movies, I just... That's, that's definitely not the one I want to spend time on. I, yeah, I think that's very fair. And I think there's a high chance that a large number of people would hate it. Um, and may or may not be very toxic in their, in their hate of it. Um, I try to not be very toxic in the way I express how I hate the last Jedi. Um, I don't really care. I I really don't care about it anymore. Like when I actually think about the story, I'm like, oh yeah, I hate that story. But like, it doesn't matter to me on a, on a big level. Cause I'm just like, whatever. Like I just let, you know, it's, I'm done with it. I let go of it. Um, but it i i do feel like that's potentially one of the most interesting stories in the star wars universe is how do you like reboot the jedi like yeah and, and but they went a particular way with it and they're basically like yeah yeah it didn't go well um you know and now we're here and they so maybe a better story that would be pretty much the same story but with different characters is um you know, Ray and Finn's story. Like, yeah. is Ray gonna try and restart the Jedi, or is she not? And if so, like, can we get a Finn Jedi, please? Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, and 
I think that story being told... People are going to be hella toxic about that story, though. Like, I'll just I'll just put that out there. And I'm not sure how much John Boyega wants to uh, be in, in the Star Wars anymore, depending on who's running things. It, it, I don't it know. Seems, I mean, maybe things will change, but it seems like he's pretty done. And, right. and I will say that's one of the things, is that as much as I love Star Wars, and as much as I love Filoni, and, and all the rest, and I, I hope this is changing, Star Wars I probably trust the least about some mm. of these, because Star yeah. Wars has a proven record now of giving far more power to its toxic fan base. Um, DC is close. DC is like coming up, coming up close on the rear. Um, Just mostly in terms of Rise of Skywalker or also in terms of like, like, I don't think there was like pushback against like any potential Ray and Finn dynamic or Finn and Poe dynamic. Right. That was just like executives being like, we can't do this. Oh no! Like, there was a ton of pushback against that, and most between a lot of Force it, Awakens and and uh, and the Last Jedi. That's my understanding. Yeah, oh, that there was a okay. lot of displeasure about Finn, hmm. um, and and a lot of a lot of hate okay. about Rey. Yeah. Um, um. I think. I think. Well, no, to but me, I, I, I mean I, their I think, specific dynamics. I don't mean the characters themselves. I know there was a lot of you know racism and misogyny directed at those characters being who they were in the movie, but. Um, it, w- it wasn't my understanding that there was anything about the, like, dynamic between the characters. I think there was some, but I think okay. that, um, even though it was more generalized, I definitely think that, like, Finn's character going in a very different direction was in part a response to that. Okay, um, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think they did it with Rey, but it, and then I'll say I think what happened with Rose was far more blatant than oh, yeah. that. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. But, but, yeah. So, yeah, so I, I think it's been a great discussion. We could keep going on with this for a long time, but uh, we're now... Um, 40, 35 minutes into what was supposed to be my uh, Twitch stream, uh, which obviously, <laughs> yeah. I don't have a computer, so I'm not doing. But let me just give a quick plug for that. Um, yeah, yeah, do Paul, it. Paul and I are obviously both doing a lot more stuff on stream. Um, check out Paul. He's doing stream. Uh, well, I'll let him tell about it. Uh, but on this this Twitch stream, Zen Madman, uh, mine is called The Ethical Panda, and you can just type in twitch.tv slash theethicalpanda, or just go to twitch.tv and type in The Ethical Panda. Um, if you like Twitch, I think it's a great way to watch us, to follow us. If you've never done it on Twitch, it's very user-friendly. Even if you don't, though, like, if you, just, if you just have an account on Twitch, if you wouldn't mind just going to my account and clicking follow, you can turn off notifications if you want. It's a huge help to me. If I get to 50 followers, the way Paul now has, I can get start getting um, some income from this. It will help me, among other things, like buy a new computer, <laughs> which may help be necessary yeah. very soon. It'll help yeah. me, um, you know, just have the time and the expense to, to keep keep uh, bringing all this great material to you and uh, keep, you know, getting Paul involved in all this stuff. So please check all that out. Uh, obviously, you know my spiel. All these uh, things happen under the Ethical Panda banner. Go to the Ethical the ethicalpanda.com website has been not, I've not been keeping up with it as well as I should, um, but I'm going to catch up on it once I have a good computer again. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but you can check stuff out there. You can find me on Twitter or Facebook at The Ethical Panda. You can email me at theethicalpanda at gmail.com. And you can find all of these podcasts as well as a whole slew of other great ones at strandedpanda.com. And if you want to find Paul, uh, I'm talking about both my podcasts but also some poker stuff on my Twitch stream. Paul is doing all poker stuff on his Twitch stream, although also this now. Uh, But Paul, what's going on on your Twitch? Yeah, every morning at 10 a.m. Eastern or uh, noon Panda time, Central Panda time. 10 a.m. Pacific. 10 a.m. Pacific. Did I say, what did I say? Eastern? You said 10 a.m. Eastern. 
Yeah, I mean, you can't take the New Yorker out of the New Yorker. Um, <laughs> yeah, 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific, noon Central. Um, I think it's 1 a.m. in China. Uh, I am uh, playing poker. I play one table and I talk about the hands as much as possible. Uh, beginners are welcome. Advanced players are welcome. Everyone's welcome. Um, even just stopping in and saying hi is greatly appreciated. Uh, you can drop a follow. That's twitch.tv slash zenmadman. Um, you can also subscribe now. I've got monetization on my channel, which is really fun. I've started making ones and ones of dollars. Um, <laughs> and, you know, eventually it just it helps me uh, lean towards doing more streaming, you know, and I'd, I'd like to do more more podcasting. Um, so, you know, thanks you again. Can stop pirating all of my streaming services and get its own. What am I pirating? Pirating. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um uh oh what uh anyway i'm not sure <laughs> i understand the reference but I, it will be explained <laughs> to me after the show but um uh, thanks to uh free cp lad again for being my 50th follower that's how I, I got to monetization and um people can subscribe if you have prime then you can just like click on the button and it's free and i just get money um and if you don't have prime you can pay and either way it's greatly appreciated um and just following or stopping by and saying hi is also greatly appreciated um it's been a lot of fun you know and uh it will continue to be and uh yeah i play poker mostly but i also am gonna maybe start doing some chess and doing the occasional podcast and maybe some like just chatting just hanging out and chatting about whatever i and others are interested in yeah, from time to time, I'll hop on his stream uh, and ask him either helpful questions about poker to give him chances to talk about stuff, or I'll just troll him. And both are fun. So come yeah, into the chat and join me in both. Anyway, thanks so much, Paul. Uh, I really appreciate you being so flexible and kind of taking over this episode. Um, hopefully I'll get my computer back and I can do the editing. If not, I, we'll see what we can do. But to all you listeners, thank you again. I'm sorry the audio quality is not up to our normal. We'll get that back to going. But for more than anything else, what I want you to do is have a great day. Luke, I am not saying the line correctly. <laughs> Speaking of the Mandela effect, right? Yes. No, exactly. I am your father. If you build it, he will come. These are these are just, you know, more Mandela effects. Does he not actually say, I am your father? He says, he doesn't say, Luke, I am your father. He says, no, I am your father. Oh, that's right. Okay. So he says, no, that's but fine. everybody says Luke. <laughs>